I want to open with a story this morning. Uh, a few streets away from where I live, uh, when I first moved to Birmingham, uh, I would drive down this street, and it's like a long row of houses, and they're all kind of built together. And about halfway down, uh, on the left-hand side, one of the houses was completely broken down. Uh, the walls were crumbling down, there was a bit of roof missing. Um, you could see up into one of the bedrooms, and there was this curious reminder of what, how things were. There was like a mirror on the wall and, a, and wallpaper, and there was even a bed there. But it was all open to the elements. And I, and I found myself wondering, you know, what is that? How has that happened? You know, did somebody not fit a smoke alarm, or did finance or insurance stop, or was there some kind of drama or story there? And it kind of fascinated me in a strange way that this anomaly was just sitting there in the street as I go past. And then uh, I, I noticed I went past again, and I noticed there were hoardings up and that there were contractors in, and contractors were working on a new site. And over the next few months or so, uh, the old building was kind of raised to the ground, and, and uh, it, the, the plot was cleared. Uh, and then in the months that followed that, some foundations went in, and a new uh, home got put up in its place uh, in the middle of this row, long row of houses. Uh, and then shortly after that, it went for sale, and then there were cars outside and lights on indoors. And I found myself thinking, this is a great illustration of the heart that Nehemiah has for Jerusalem. On an individual building level, what I've just shared with you there is Nehemiah's heart for a city. He does it for a city. And I want you to hold that image in your mind of Nehemiah's heart to rebuild a city. And he, he now comes to this point where he's kind of done the foundations, he's rebuilt the walls, he's kind of put everything back together, and he needs people inside the city. He needs to rebuild a core. He needs, effectively, to take the analogy further, he needs to have a family living there. He needs somebody inside, and it needs to be healthy and functional uh, once again. I want to share with you from Nehemiah uh, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Uh, and this is, a, this is how Nehemiah goes about doing that. It says this, Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now I want you to see what's going on here. Nehemiah effectively organizes what I would call a people tithe. He gets a tenth of the population to help him repopulate the core, repopulate the center, and to come and live in the middle, uh, and to make that healthy and vibrant and functional again as a, as a solid base. And, and that's what I'm talking about today, a solid base from which things can grow. Because if we don't have a solid base at the center, we are in trouble, and we need to rebuild that together. Now, I was just doing some thinking about this idea of, a, of, you know, like counting the people and sorting them so that one in every, you know, one in every ten could return. And it's, it's, it's very interesting to me today that uh, I think this is the Lord's timing for us. Today is National Census Day. We are doing a count of all the people in the UK. And, and that is due today. And I hope you're doing your count or you've had your letter through, or if you've not, you can go online. Most of the social media outlets are pointing to this idea of the census. But it's slightly ironic that on, of all the days of the year that I'm preaching about needing to count people, 
from, from Nehemiah, we're actually counting people in the country. So that, that's one thing. And then another thing that I think is kind of cool is that uh, because of the lockdown, we are only able to open up a certain number of seats in this auditorium. Uh, and we've gone through and been pretty diligent about making sure that social distancing is in place. But let me tell you something very interesting. The number of seats that we are allocating in our ticketing, guess what? It's one-tenth of the people on our database. That's a pretty cool thing to within a handful. Uh, we're offering 186 seats, and there's, I think, 1,890 people on the database. It's very, very close. And you see, those kinds of little signs are encouragements to us and to me that the Lord is beginning to put his hand on some of our plans and say, now, come on, BCC, come and join me building a healthy core. Okay? So uh, we, we've uh, heard, you know, that, about that guy, uh, that fitness instructor, Joe Wicks, haven't we? He's, uh, he's been trying to get the nation more healthy, uh, working on their core. The core, you know, down the middle here is where you've got that, that sort of central set of muscles that kind of holds you all together, really. And um, he's been helping us all work on our core and get better. And I, I want to say to us that I think we need to kind of do the same spiritually as church. And Nehemiah is doing the same thing spiritually for his nation. He's working on the core of his nation in a spiritual and a physical way, very similar to how Joe Wicks has been trying to do that for us uh, with our fitness. I've been looking back through what the Bible says about why the core is so important, and it seems to me that at every point where there's something big that happens, where the church branches out or something spiritual happens, there's a core there that's healthy and functional. So, for instance, with the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, doesn't he, in Matthew 28. But he says that to a core of 11 disciples. And, and they're, they're ready to go. That core is in place. In Acts 2, when the, when the Holy Spirit comes to the church and he, uh, and he blesses the church and he fills up with everyone with power and there are signs and wonders, there are 120 as a core waiting in that upper room on the arrival of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just one person being sent somewhere. There was a core that was healthy. And in Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, you see a kind of a, a two-year period in which that church gets built up and is strong and it has a great teaching ministry. And then at that point, they lay hands on Saul and Barnabas and they send them out. BCC, we have to be healthy in, our center, in, in the center of ourselves spiritually if we are going to rebuild. And that's the main point of my message to us today. Let's all build from a solid base together to ensure that we are healthy and spiritually strong. So to, to help us achieve that, I've got three questions that I want to ask us today. And they all begin with the letter C. Uh, I like a three-point sermon. And uh, here are the three questions. Number one, what is our condition? Number two, how is our connection? And number three, where is our confidence? Number one, what's our condition? Number two, how is our connection? And number three, where is our confidence? Now, I'm going to open with the first one of those, which is all about our condition. Now, Proverbs 27, 23 says this, really, really interesting in key verse. It says this, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Now, pastors everywhere around the world, if they hear that verse, they're like, right, what am I doing to pay attention to my flock and to make sure that uh, those people assigned to me in, in my role as a shepherd over them are healthy and strong. So I want to ask you a question, BCC, this morning. How are you? No, really. How are you? I'm at home and uh, working a lot from home, and Chloe and I share an office, and it's great fun. 
she's a brilliant person to work with. Love you to bits, Chloe. And one of the things that Chloe says on the phone when she's making her pastoral phone calls is, how are you? How are you really? So how are you, BCC? How are you today? If you're struggling right now, we want to help you. I want to share a little story with you uh, about a friend of mine who's now a minister. But before, when this thing happened to him, he wasn't a minister. He was working in finance in London. July 2005, he catches a tube train, and he's uh, on the tube into London. And it's the 7th of July, and there's an explosion, and it was the 7-7 bombings. And the train on the underground that was in front of him was the one that had a bomb attack on it. And he was on the one behind it. And he, he went home thinking, you know, just praising God and thanking, him, you know, thanking God that he was all right and pretty dazed and pretty shocked. And over the next few weeks, his company insisted on him having some counseling. They said, we think you need some help. He was like, I'm fine. I'm doing my job. I'm good. I'm great. Nothing to it. They insisted on him going to the first session. And when he turned up to the first session, he was really surprised he could not remember the details of that day with any level of clarity. He had blanked it from his mind, and he was quite shocked that that had happened. What I want to say to us is that I actually think the pandemic has acted as the nature of a massive shock to all of us. And I think we need to take care of ourselves and acknowledge that. I was, looking on the, uh, I was looking on the Mind charity website. Mind are a great charity. They, they want to look after people's mental health. And they do a great job, and they've got some great resources. And, and in fact, on our YouTube and our Facebook and also on your WhatsApp, there's a link to um, Mind's description of stress. What are the symptoms of stress? And I want to run through those briefly with you because I want us as, permission, I want us as Christians to have permission to identify those stress factors. You know what? You're not a bad Christian if you suffer from any of these. It, you're not. Actually, what's happened is you've gone through a shock and you're stressed. So let's, let's just run through some of these, and you can open those up on your phone if you need to or look those up from the links I've posted there. So some, they're, they're broken into emotional, behavioral, and physical. Emotional signs of stress that you could be feeling are irritable, aggressive, impatient, wound up, overburdened, anxious or nervous or afraid, uh, like your thoughts are racing and you can't switch off, unable to enjoy yourself, depressed, interest, uh, uninterested in life, like you've lost your sense of humor, maybe a sense of dread, worried about your health, neglected or lonely, possibly even suicidal. Behavioral signs of stress, these are things that you might be doing. And if you're doing some of these, these could be indicators that you're perhaps in shock about the pandemic, if I could just be really blunt about it. You're finding it hard to make decisions. You're constantly worrying. You avoid situations that trouble you. You found yourself snapping at people. You're biting your nails. Maybe you're scratching your skin. You're unable to concentrate. You're eating too much or too little. Uh, you're smoking. Uh, you're smoking maybe, if you do smoke, that you're smoking more than usual. You're drinking alcohol. You're doing that more than usual. If you have addictive behaviors, you've retreated into some of those. Restless, like you can't sit still, and potentially being a bit tearful or crying inexplicably. Now, physical signs of stress, these are, these are things that are going on in your body. So the rest of you might be great, but if these are happening in your body, maybe you're stressed. Shallow breathing or hyperventilating, panic attacks, muscle tension, blurred eyesight or sore eyes, problems getting to sleep, 
staying asleep or even having nightmares. Sexual problems such as losing interest in sex or being unable to enjoy sex with your, with your, with your married partner. Tired all the time. Grinding your teeth or clenching your jaw. Headaches. Chest pains. High blood pressure. Indigestion or heartburn. Constipation or equally diarrhea. Feeling sick, dizzy or fainting. Now listen, I'm a pastor that believes that church needs to be a, like a really encouraging place. I do. And so to read a long list like that, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. But I also want to be truthful to you, and I want to give you vocabulary for something that you might have been sensing that isn't quite right with you over this last year. I think it's really important that we have vocabulary. And I want to say again, you are not a poor Christian if you've been having some of these. You are reacting to stress. So the first thing I want to say to you is talk to God. You know, the Psalms are a pretty good list of the the ways in which David and others expressed stress to God. Uh, You know, they're pretty honest. Uh, They they express their feelings to God. They have a rant to God. In fact, uh, you know, Phil Knox's video was a great lament to God about the state of everything, wasn't it? And I think that's very healthy to take your complaint to God. But I want to say to you, if you've had some of those symptoms, and read through them, the links are there, and you've had them, particularly if you've had them only during the pandemic or or persistently over the last uh, little while, please talk to your GP. Please make an appointment, go and see your GP and say, listen, I'm only getting four hours sleep a night. Or whatever it happens to be, talk about it. It's so important. You know, I just want to say to you, just as an aside, God has a very high view of doctors. He really does. And we have a lot of doctors and medical professionals in our congregation. I just want to point out to you that the highest word count in the New Testament goes to Luke, and he was a doctor. God has a great, sets a great store by the role of the medical profession. So go and talk to your GP. And also talk to us. You can contact our office, 0121236 or you can email us, admin at bcc.life. The, the important thing is you verbalize off of that list and you say, okay, I think I might be suffering from some of these. Now, for me, I have had a few of these occasionally pop up through the pandemic, but they've not lasted more than a month. And what I found is that God's word has really helped me and prayer and digging into his word has been powerful for me. And I've paid attention to diet and sleep and exercise and they've really helped condition me through this time. And I know that all of us have got different ways of coping with these things. And actually, if you're not struggling with some of these, I don't want to put these on you. If you're doing okay during the pandemic, these are just, this part of the message is just an indicator for you uh, to help you and maybe help you identify with the people around you in your world. So how are you and what is your condition? The second thing I want to say is connection. How is your connection? You know, um, one of the best indicators for long life, uh, it's this really strange thing. Um, If you'd have asked me that kind of just out of the blue, I'd have said, well, it's genetics or it's exercise or it's, um, you know, DNA maybe or it's, uh, uh, you know, education perhaps. Well, it's it's none of those things. The, The best indicator for long life is how well connected you are. Really strange truth, but it is. In, and I'll give you some, some science to back it up. In 2010, Harvard Medical School in the US, a very well-established, well-respected establishment, did a study of 300,000 people. Uh, and they started this study when this group of people was around about age 64, and they ran the study for seven and a half years. And they wanted to look at what kind of uh, long life did these people have 
dependent upon their social connections. And what they found was that people with good social connections have a 50% better survival rate than those who don't. That's massive. Really, really big difference. So if you're socially isolated or on your own or trying to manage life by yourself, you are 50% you are worse off than if you're somebody who has got a family, goes to church, is well-connected, has got a, lot, a wide social circle. Makes a really, really big difference to your long life. And I think there are two reasons for this, and they identify this in the study. Uh, the first reason is that you get good emotional support when you're in a time of crisis yourself. Uh, you know, Louise Darwood has reached out to us because of her daughter, and she's got that emotional support from us as pastors because she's going through such a hard time, and our heart really goes out to you, Louise, uh, if you're watching this morning. The second reason is that people around us often influence us to make better choices. Uh, you know, we have this thing on team where we do a bit of running. Some of us are doing a bit of running, so Kevin's doing some, I'm doing some, Pastor Mark's doing some, and we kind of cheer each other on. And that's because we're connected and we see what each other is doing. By keeping us all connected, what happens with church is that it's God's idea to, to make us live long and well. It really is. Uh, I want to just back this up with a great story from Mark chapter 2. Uh, you know this story well, but I'll share it with you anyway. Um, there's a guy who's paralyzed, uh, and he's on his mat all day, and he's got four mates, and they hear that Jesus is in town, and they take him to see Jesus. And there's a big crowd. They can't get the man to Jesus, and so they make a hole in the roof, and they lower the, paraly the paralyzed man down uh, through the roof. And Jesus is there, and Jesus not only forgives his sins, and saves him from his sinful life, but he also heals him from his paralysis. It's a wonderful story. But do you know what? That would not have happened if that man had not had friends. If that man had not had friends, friends, the kind of friends who say, you are coming to church, buddy, whether you like it or not. You are coming to meet with Jesus today because you need to see Jesus. We need friends like that, do we not? We absolutely need friends who goad us into coming to church. We need those social connections. Here's another thought around the, the effect of the pandemic. Who thought to themselves, as the pandemic un unfolded and grew, I hope I've got enough margin to ride this out. And, uh, you know, a sub-teaching of the story of the prodigal son is always building some margin. He found himself on a far off, in a far-off land with no margin left, didn't he? He had no finance, no friends, no food. So one of the things from the, that side of that parable is that we all need, from this point forward, is we must build margin into our lives. I think we need to build financial margin, if we can, and start saving and getting rid of debt. We need to put, put work into our skills margin so that we're employable and desirable in the workplace. Uh, we need to put some uh, mileage into our fitness, potentially, literally, uh, you know, uh, and actually get fitter. We need to put in some prayer margin. You know, I want to have kind of a, a prayer margin 10 miles deep that the devil can't even see me because I've prayed so much and I have so many people praying for me. We didn't worship margin. You know, worship pastor Kevin was saying this week, one of his visions would be that, you know, we have so, so much great worship uh, during, during the week that on Sunday, it's the overflow from the rest of the week. And I love that. What a great idea. Now, let's be honest, sometimes we come to church and we get a little bit in the bottom of our glass on a Sunday because the rest of the week's a bit barren. And I'm just confessing, sometimes that happens to me too. So, you know, I'm just being honest. Let's worship and have a worship margin. 
Around friendships and around connections, let's build a friendship margin. Let's have some margin and not be like the prodigal son who got stuck all by himself. Let's have margin here. So my top tip for building some friendships as we go forward in this season is always be, put, always be someone who puts something into a friendship. Um, I'll just share a little story with you from my, uh, my own fitness efforts. Uh, I, start, I joined a, a fitness app called Strava, which is linked with GPS, so that when you go running or cycling, it tracks uh, your, your efforts and it gives you a time and all the rest of it. And there's a few of us in the room who are on this, uh, I know. And um, what's happened is that I, I just think it's gr- I've never had anything but encouragement off it. People are just so encouraging. And uh, I started to encourage people about a year ago. And, you know, when I first started, I'd have one or two people encouraging me back. And now I get about 10. But I'm in, this, in, the, in, this, uh, you know, in the presence of greatness. We have Phil Thompson here, who he is the most encouraging man I've ever met on Strava. He gets 25 people going, well done, Phil. And the reason for that, this is a serious point, the reason for that is he encourages other people. He puts something in, and so people feel, yeah, great, Phil, I'll respond. If you put something into your friendships, you will get a great amount of connection back. So number one, what's your condition? Number two, what's your connection? Number three, confidence. This is my last point. I want to share a great story with you. Um, uh, there's a guy called Lee Strobel, who is probably my top Christian hero of all time. There's lots and lots of great Christian leaders out there and writers and authors, but Lee Strobel, oh, he's just a great, great guy. He's written a book called um, The Case for Christ, and it had a big impact on me, and it gave me great, in fact, it gave me great confidence as a believer. He was a crime reporter and a, a pretty cynical, atheistic crime reporter, and he decided that he would go and investigate the case for Christ after his wife became a Christian. And he was pretty annoyed about his wife becoming a Christian, so he went off and he did all this research. And after a couple of years and doing loads and loads of research, he became a follower of Jesus. And, and the story of that is in this book, and it's, on, it's in a film as well. And I'd recommend you search, if you've got Amazon Prime or Netflix, go and have a look for The Case for Christ film, because it's an absolutely great film, as well as a great book. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Lee Strobel has a quarter of a million followers on Twitter, okay? That is not an insignificant number, is it? I've got about 100, just to give you a comparison. So, uh, this Friday, uh, just gone a couple of days ago, literally two days ago, he tweets this, and he does this regularly, I love this. Listen to this story. He he tweets this, I'm at Elway's restaurant in Denver airport. There's room in my booth for one more. Stop by and I'll buy you breakfast so we can talk about Jesus. Skeptics welcome. And I'm just like, I see this on my Twitter feed and I'm like, wow, what a great thing to do. And I caught it just as he tweeted it, which is key because like there's about, you know, a thousand replies now and loads and loads of people have liked it. But so I replied and I said this, I love how you offer this. And then in brackets I put, I so want to be in your airport by chance one day and thank you for your great books. And then another follower of his jumped on, another follower called Zoe jumped on and she said, I was thinking the exact same thing. And then loads of other people said the same thing. And then I replied to her and Lee Strobel simultaneously and I said this, after reading all the way through the case for Christ, what Lee Strobel said about his daughter, seeing the changes in him hit me like a ton of bricks. Because when he became a Christian, his daughter was only five or six. The only evidence she had, not all the research that he'd done, but the evidence she had was his changed life. He became a nicer dad, basically. And she suddenly said, I want something of what daddy's got. And it broke me when I read that. 
I was like, oh my God, that's incredible. How powerful is that? And so I finished, the, I didn't say all that on the tweet. I just said, um, seeing the changes in him hit me like a ton of bricks. You are a bit of a hero of mine, Mr. Strobel. And then Mr. Strobel himself replied from his airport restaurant, that's very kind of you to say, Nick, all God's blessings to you. And it made my day. I was so pleased that he replied. Now, I love his book because his book gives me confidence. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would just come back up to the platform and just begin to play. And I want to say to you, what are the things that build your confidence? You need to go and access, access those things that build your confidence. You know, I'm, I, I just had a bit of a think about some of the things that give me confidence. And um, testimonies are great for giving me confidence. When I hear a good testimony, I just get excited in my spirit and my confidence is restored. Um, and in fact, I just want to make an appeal to you, BCC. If you like those one-minute good news stories, why don't you record one and send it in? We'd love to see some more BCC people on there. Uh, that would be great. I, I was thinking uh, as I was preparing my message, so what are the two testimonies or what are the top three testimonies I've ever heard? And I could only think of two. And I think the first one would be uh, Robert Morris's introduction to his book, The Blessed Life. He shares a testimony that's just ridiculous. Uh, I can't recommend that you, 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 I can't recommend it high enough. You must read that. And then another completely ridiculous testimony comes from the back of a book uh, called The Incredible Transformation of Stephen Lungu. Uh, Stephen Lungu is a, a, an African evangelist. And there's a testimony about prayer towards the end of that book that is just, again, absolutely ridiculous. There is no way you can explain it other than the sovereign intervention of God uh, in that situation. And so what I want to ask, and I found, I found initially this section of my preach really hard because I'm thinking, well, those things give me confidence, but how can I port that across to you? And then it struck me, actually, we all have things from our personal relationship with Jesus that give us confidence. There are things that we know about Jesus and that he has done for us and that we love when he does them that give us confidence. And I think in this season... In addition to paying attention to our condition, in addition to looking at our connection and making sure our connection works properly, we need to go back to those things that give us strong confidence in the Lord. Whatever they are, whether it's testimonies, whether it's getting into the Word of God, whether it's worship and praise, whether it's phoning somebody and having a great chat on the phone, a good conversation is a brilliant thing for confidence. It really is. Go after the things that build your confidence back in God if you need to do that and go after them in this season. So BCC, how is your condition? How are you? How are you really? How's your connection? Are you connected? Do you need some friends to stretch you into the presence of Jesus? Are you worried about some of your friends? Do you need to reach out to them? And what's your confidence like in this season? And go and access those things that you know from the past have given you that confidence, like that Christian espresso that you need sometimes just to remind you yourself of just how wonderful Jesus is and how powerful God can be and how wonderful the person of the Holy Spirit is when we ask him to fill us up. You know, it struck me uh, while I was out running this morning that uh, the Mark 2 story mixes all three of these things together really well. Really well. Um, you know, there was a condition, wasn't there? That guy was on a mat, you know, staring at the ceiling. And he needed help. And then there was a connection. He had friends, friends who cared about him. 
It took him to church, effectively. And, he, and then he had uh, confidence from what was done for him. And imagine the confidence that, that those friends must have had. And I want you to port that into your situation. Imagine the confidence you'll feel if some of your friends turn to Jesus and become saved and healed and better. There's nothing like it. It's such a great confidence boost when it happens. I just want you to hold those thoughts in your mind. It's going to pray for us and then we're going to just uh, go to our side set. Jesus, we just thank you that uh, we can rebuild the core of our community around who you are, Jesus. And that you can bring us together and that we can be connected. And that if we have a condition or conditions that aren't right, you can help us be healed. And Jesus, I pray for every single person in BCC this week that something would happen from you that would give them masses and masses of confidence again if they need that. I really pray for that for every single person. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.